Welcome to the Faith Element Podcast for the July 23rd, 2023 session, focusing on Genesis chapter 28, verses 10 through 22, Dreams. I'm David Cassidy. I'm Nikki Hardiman. I'm Daniel Glaze. And I'm Burt Montgomery. We've got the band back together. (laughs) (laughs) Summertime, we're all traveling, we're doing things, there are conventions. So it's really hard to get everybody together. But here we are. It's great to see you all again. Yeah. You as well. Yeah. Good to be here. It's all good to be back. So I don't know about you guys, but I try to sleep every night. (laughs) <laughs> I say I try, That's but good. <laughs> sometimes I dream. In fact, I'm fairly well known around my household for remembering my dreams. So I dream most every night and I remember most of them. So last night, for example, I dreamed that my daughter had gone, she had come in the house and was had a big smile on her face. I'm like, why are you smiling? She goes, I caught a big fish. I went fishing. And I was like, oh, that's great. What did you catch? And she goes, I caught a tuna. And I was like, where is it? And she goes, I've already eaten it. And I remember asking her if it was a silver tuna. And she said, yes, it was. And I don't remember anything else. But just random, (laughs) bizarre things. So first of all, my daughter, I don't know that she's ever been fishing. So that's pretty interesting, (laughs) much less deep sea fishing. So anyway, do you all do that? Do you have dreams and remember them? And if so, do you have one you remember? Golly, yes, man. Like when Jensie and I were first married, within about two years, she woke me up one time because I was punching her, literally punching her. And she had to wake me up. And she said, what are you doing? I was in the middle of a dream. And I kid you not, the 1960s TV pop band, The Monkees, <laughs> were attacking Jensi. And I was trying to fight them off. Now, for listeners who cannot see, I have a poster of The Monkees, Mike, <laughs> Mickey, Davey and Peter on my wall behind me because we were huge monkeys fans, still are. But yeah, they were beating up Jensi. I have no idea why. And I had just trying to fight them off her. (laughs) That's bizarre, man. (laughs) Now, see, I, I don't typically remember my dreams 10 minutes after I've woken up, but I do have the recurring dreams. And maybe it's just a consequence of being a pastor, but I have the, the recurring dream that it's, 1058, and someone is holding me up, whether it's the printer not printing out my sermon, or I can't find my robe, oh. or whatever else. Something is keeping me from being being held up there. And that happens with much more frequency than I'd like, mm-hmm. because I wake up exhausted and not well-rested and all that good stuff. I do, and I'll share one in a minute, but I'll also share in seminary, we had a class called dreams. And we learned about dream interpretation using Jungian archetypes. And it was really fascinating. And it's a spiritual discipline I still use today. But I haven't done it on this dream I'm about to share. So I had a dream that my boss's wife and I were hanging out and we were getting ready and we had some responsibilities to go take care of. And there was a television where we were and we saw something about Naomi Osaka playing tennis in Japan. And she said, you want to go see that live? I was like, yeah, let's go do it. (laughs) And so we drive to the airport and we get on an airplane and we fly to Japan to go see Naomi Osaka play tennis in Japan. But the dream woke before we landed. Wow. 
<laughs> don't ask me. I have no idea what any of it because I don't watch tennis. Like I'm not a tennis watcher. So very strange. Oh gosh. Our minds are very strange things if you really think yeah. about it. Yeah. <laughs> but I hear dreaming is good for you. So I'm glad you're all having dreams as bizarre as they are. Yes. <laughs> I remember once I was talking with my therapist and she she surprised me because she said, you're going to have a dream tonight and you're going to remember it when you wake up in the morning. I want you to write it down and I want you to let me know about it when we get back together. And doggone it if it didn't happen. So I'm assuming she provoked it. That sounded like the words yeah. that you used sounded like she was hypnotizing. She you could have something. been. Who knows? I could have mm -hmm. been acting like a chicken or something. <laughs> oh, my goodness. We are still in Genesis, but about done, I think. Is this the last one? Just one more. Mm -hmm. One more. Okay, we have one more. So it's been interesting, though. Genesis is a very interesting book. So I hope you've all been enjoying our little journey through this text. We have one today that is a bit familiar, but I think will be very interesting to discuss. Bert, would you help us get started? Sure, I'll be happy to. And I just want to start with a confession. Man, I still miss Tom Petty. I'll never forget the time that Tom Petty surprised my wife, Jensie, and me by just dropping by for a visit once. Now, this was about 30 years ago before we had kids, and we lived in a small apartment just outside of Jackson, Mississippi. Tom was warm, charming, gracious, and funny. Oh, man, he was very funny. Now, to be honest, Jensie had always liked some of his songs and genuinely appreciated his talent. But she was never a real big fan. Me, on the other hand, in my book, he's been canonized. You've probably heard me refer to St. Thomas of Petty on previous podcasts. Nevertheless, Jensie was pleasantly surprised by Tom's gentle kindness and his thoughtfulness. For example, after sitting with us for a while, sharing stories back and forth, he very politely asked if it would be okay with us if he stepped outside to our back porch for a smoke. Now think about that. He could very easily have just lit up right then and there on our couch and not shown any consideration to at all to us because he's Tom Petty. But that right there sealed the deal for Jensie. There was absolutely no sense of when you're famous, they let you do it on Tom's part. From that moment on, Tom Petty was just all right with Jensie. She still mentions that from time to time all these year late, years later. No, we didn't get any pictures. I can't share them in the show notes. But yes, it really happened. All the way back in 1991, Tom Petty came to visit us in our little Mississippi apartment. And yes, he excused himself for a smoke outbreak in a dream. It was only a dream. But man, that dream was as real to me as any I've ever had. And yes, really, Jensie and I still do talk about it to this day. Jacob had a dream once. His son, Joseph, had a whole lot of dreams too, but that's another time and another story and another part of Genesis. Today's text occurs long before there is such a thing as Joseph. It's not long after Jacob had just conned his twin brother and left home, but before his uncle Laban conned him into getting two wives for the price of 14 years labor. So Jacob, the lying, stealing bachelor on the run, has a dream. 
while living in between these other stories that we so love. Yeah, I doubt Tom Petty ever appeared to Jacob in a dream. And if he did, would Jacob have even known who he was? I'll leave that as a question for the philosophers and theologians to decide. What we do know is that angels appeared in a dream, as did God. Jacob's dream, if nothing else, comes to Jacob at a very uncertain time in his life's journey, an in-between space, an in-between space that I think we're all familiar with. And in that time for Jacob, his dream informs him of God's presence and of God's provision. But there's another aspect of it too, one that I think we often miss. The rabbi Rami Shapiro points out that the ladder in our dream, the ladder which go, the angels go up and down. And by the way, if you know the children's song about Jacob's ladder, we are climbing Jacob's ladder, that Jacob doesn't climb the ladder. We're not climbing. Humans are not climbing the ladder up to heaven, right? Jacob's ladder is a ladder that connects heaven and earth, and the angels are coming down and going up and coming down and going up. Rabbi Rami Shapiro says that this dream removes for us any ideas we may have about the separation between heaven and earth. <laughs> Heck, it's the rabbi, Rabbi Shapiro, who reminds us of Jesus' own teachings in the Gospel of Luke, that the kingdom of God is here. It's in us. It's all around us. This world right now is where God's will is being lived out. Now, like all of us, Jacob wakes up, and he can only process all of this. He can only interpret all of this according to his own limited, finite understandings and experiences up to that point in his journey. Pastor Mike Smith says the dream helps Jacob realize that God is more than a family tradition that dates back to his grandfather Abraham. God is still here and now and with Jacob, and Jacob responds appropriately with words, with ritual. But then he takes this new understanding and his words and his ritual, and he still interprets it and sees it and sees it through the paradigm of his own Nietzschean uberman sense of selfishness and need for controlling the world and creating his own life. Rabbi Rami Shapiro says, Jacob qualifies everything with, if God will be with me. If God will keep me, if God will give me bread, if God will give me clothes, if I can return in peace to my father's house, then Yahweh will be God to me. It sounds a lot like us still today, isn't it? Even after all these millennia, we will believe in God if what we see, we hear, we receive in our lives give us reason to believe in God, or we reject belief in God. We will reject God because we can see too many things that disprove there's God. There's no, if I can do this, then. God hadn't done that. I don't see evidence of it. Then there's no God. We still think there's a separation of us from God and of heaven from earth. Rabbi Shapiro says, Jacob has just seen God 
in all as all. And then he wakes up and doesn't really trust what he just saw. There's a song by Tom Petty called Southern Accents, which he sings about having a dream. There's a dream I keep having where my mama comes to me and kneels down by my window and says a prayer for me. Now, when Tom dropped in to visit with me, he didn't tell me any insights on what this dream may have meant about his mama praying for him, but I suspect it haunted him in a good, comforting way through the rest of his life. Much as the dream I had of Tom Petty coming to visit me has haunted me in a good, comforting way for over three decades. Like Jacob, my dream with Tom Petty came to me in an in-between time in my life's journey, moving from one state to another, one graduate school to another, one degree to another, and at 23 years old, unsure of where I was going, not too sure of where I'd really come from or how I was going to get anywhere. But like Jacob's dream, my dream was just as real. And maybe sometimes dreams aren't meaningful in terms of literal details in which we can neatly understand and interpret every single one and say, this is what it means. But maybe dreams linger with us like mysteries, like mythology, like ghosts, like ancient Jewish texts, whispering to us over time, throughout time, at different times, throughout all our lives, nudging us, guiding us, or simply being a moment of rest, of hope, of memories of a loved one, or angels or rock stars, or even a moment of joy. One thing I take from all this, though, and I hopefully have never been as much as a con man and a cheat as Jacob, yet I certainly haven't been much of an angel either. Yet, in the mystery of all eternity, God is always very present. God is always very much with us, wherever we are in our journeys, wherever we are in the in-between states, wherever, here, there, and everywhere. Thank you for getting us started on this Jacob story. The stories about Jacob are some of my favorite in all of scripture. And because I think we get to see how someone goes from immaturity and not knowing really who God is and what that's all about. And then all the way until he grows and finally finds some peace and wholeness. And right here, we're in the middle of that story. We are, he has begun that journey away, running from his brother who wants to kill him. And I just love the way that you talked about it. I've always thought about Jacob as somebody, really until he wrestles with God, Jacob deals with everybody with a side eye. Like he he never fully engages people. He never looks at people head on and engages them with true authenticity and with true authenticity. And, and here you absolutely pulled that out. When Jacob wakes up from his dream and he's saying, if this, if that, that's not how Abraham responded to God's covenant. That's not how Moses responded to God's covenant. Jacob's holding back. 
so we see God prick at Jacob here in this dream, in this space, and Jacob's kind of testing things. And I think it's so important that we pull that out. And oh my gosh, how many times have I been like that? <laughs> okay, God. All right. How's this going to work? Anyway, I just love the way you started us off. Thanks so much. I, I will point out, Nikki, based on what you said, and we know later, uh, Jacob, after all this, much later, right. Jacob wrestles with angels, wrestles with God. The text uses both in the Hebrew, right? And that is when his name gets changed to mm-hmm. Israel, mm-hmm. which means wrestling with God. Mm-hmm. Rabbi Shapiro notes on this text, he said, look, when we as Jews talk about who we are, we don't say we are Abraham. We don't say we are Moses. We don't even say we're King David. We say we are Israel. Mm-hmm. Our people are named for Jacob, right? who constantly wrestles Wrestles. With understanding, wrestles with living, wrestles with God. And we are people that are not afraid to mm. struggle and wrestle. Mm. I, that makes it like from the beginning, Jacob has been that way. Jacob has had a passion for life, even in exiting the womb. Like mm-hmm. he's holding on for dear life. And he has this passion that runs through him. And I think that maybe part of what we see across the course of Jacob's life is how God directs Jacob to Mm -hmm. use that passion to how to point it in the right direction. Because Jacob could have gone a whole nother way. Like he really could have, he's like that kid that you want to yank up because (laughs) he's driving everybody crazy. And I really do believe that about him. And so anyway, anyway, yeah, absolutely. Mm. I I love what you said. You're quoting Rabbi Shapiro there. I don't guess I've ever thought of it quite that way before that <laughs> we are Jacob, we are Israel. Mm-hmm. Because, as and as we'll continue this saga next week, is Jacob sinner or saint? He's both. Yes. <laughs> are we sinners or saints? We are both. Yes. We have taken advantage of people, and we have lived the way God has wanted us to mm-hmm. live. It's, it is not one or the other. And this story continues that, that classic both and is God's Home in heaven is God's home here on earth. Yes. Mm. Mm. All of that. To go back to the idea of dreams, I don't know if this is going to make sense or if it's going to make a connection or not. But one thing that I have learned and come to believe that some dreams are just bananas off the wall. I I don't know what they mean. And some, I think, are our subconscious dreams conveying what our conscious mind cannot. It's a way of releasing that may be deep there. And I wonder if that is true of Jacob's dream here. It it strikes me like that when he says, surely the Lord is in this place and I didn't know it. It's almost like our our bodies know things sometimes, or our mind knows things that, that we cannot, that our conscious selves cannot express. Yeah. And that I don't know if that's making any sense here, but it, it seems to be that's how Jacob sees this dream. Um, I wouldn't have said the Lord is in this place, but through this dream, now I know it, it was conveyed to me. That's a really good point. Yeah. I think it makes all the sense in the world. And I think that I have had experiences where my body knew what was going on around me or within me before like my mind did. 
Mm. And that's a reality, I think, that a lot of people experience. And I love thinking about this dream in that way for Jacob, right? That it is his self, God using his own self to to reveal to Jacob what is present and what is around. And I like that. I'm going to, I'm going to think on that one for a while. Yeah, that's good. Well, and to make another analogy for me, as someone that deals with a little bit of anxiety, some, sometimes the disorder manifests itself that sometimes I'm anxious and there really is not a reason to be. Sometimes I cannot express why I'm anxious, but my body knows that there is something to be anxious about. It's yeah, I and I think that's I think that's what happens in our dreams. And which is why I think your David, your therapist, advice to to write it down is so important because yes, sometimes you're just gonna say, that was bizarre. Yeah. But sometimes Tom Petty has a message for you. <laughs> I'm saying nice. I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. Incidentally, when you told me that was just a dream, that was heartbreaker there. (laughs) That was pitiful. That was pitiful. He's not the only Tom that's ever visited me. I did have a visit with Thomas Burton once. And that was largely because of Glenn Henson. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But but yeah, we sat around and talked about Glenn Henson and Will Campbell. It was great fun. (laughs) How do we know we're not dreaming right now? That's what I'm saying. See? Those lines are fuzzy. They are fuzzy. And the older you get, the fuzzier they get. Okay, one time, all right, this is just funny, but one time I had a dream that, like, my car was in a wreck, and we were hanging off a cliff, and, like, the door on the cliff side was open, and I was starting to fall out of it, but I woke up mid-fall, falling off of my bed. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) I did. I was falling off of my bed. Bummer. And in my dream, it, like, turned into, I was falling out of a car off a cliff. (laughs) So my brain is a little prone to hyperbole, I think. (laughs) I often go to Frederick Buechner, and I'm going to do it again, so I'm not going to apologize. But, of course, he has written a piece called Dreams. It's from a book called Whistling in the Dark. So I want to close with that today because he says, I think, some things perhaps more poetically and poignantly than certainly I would ever be able to. Here's what he writes. No matter how prosaic, practical, and plottingly unimaginative we may be, we have dreams like everybody else. All of us do. In them, even the most down-to-earth and pedestrian of us leave earth behind and go flying, not walking, through the air like pelicans. Even the most respectable go strolling along crowded pavements, naked as truth, Even the confirmed disbelievers in an afterlife hold converse with the dead, just as the most dyed-in-the-wool debunkers of the supernatural have adventures that would make Madame Belasky's hair stand on end. The tears of dreams can be real enough to wet the pillow, and the passions of them fierce enough to make the flesh burn. There are times we dream our way to a truth or an insight so overwhelming that it startles us awake and haunts us for years to come. As easily as from room to room, we move from things that happened so long ago we had forgotten them to things lying ahead that may be waiting to happen or trying to happen still. 
On our way, we are as likely to meet old friends as perfect strangers. Sometimes inexplicably, we meet casual acquaintances who for decades haven't so much as once crossed our minds. Freudians and Jungians, prophets and poets, philosophers, fortune tellers and phonies all have their own claims about what dreams mean. Others claim they don't mean a thing. But there are at least two things they mean that seem incontrovertible. One of them is that we are in constant touch with a world that is so real to us while we are in it and has as much to do with who we are and whose ultimate origin and destiny are as unknown and fascinating as the world of waking reality. The other one is that our lives are a great deal richer, deeper, more intricately interrelated, more mysterious, and less limited by time and space than we commonly suppose. People who tend to write off the validity of the religious experience in general and the experience of God in particular, on the grounds that in the real world they can find no evidence for such things, should take note. Maybe the real world is not the only reality, and even if it should turn out to be, maybe they are not really looking at it realistically. Wise words to ponder on and perhaps to dream about. I hope you'll all have dreams tonight and remember them. Thank you all for this good conversation. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Learn more about our Faith Element Bible study curriculum at faithelement.net. Faith Element is a service of Faith Lab.